I'm Craig Kenneth, a relationship coach and a psychotherapist. Every relationship is different and every breakup is different. Work with me and you'll get professional help on your situation. And if you're in no contact, focused on personal growth, my creative healing course is filled with hours of exclusive content. Available now at AskCraig.net. Hi there, I'm Coach Craig Kenneth. I'm Coach Margaret. Today we're gonna to be talking about understanding borderline personality disorder. Okay, so we often talk about attachment and mental health on this channel. And when you're looking at personality disorders, I feel that a lot of this, and I think we're gonna find this more and more in the future, is related to our attachment issues in early childhood, meaning our mental health issues are really related to our attachment issues with our caregivers. Right. And I think this has really been more and more prominent over the last 10, it's 20 years, right? It's becoming very, very clear. And I just want to kind of define the term of a personality disorder. A personality disorder is not a major mental illness like bipolar or schizophrenia or pathological depression. Um, a personality disorder is a somewhat dysfunctional way of dealing in the world and being in the world and how you relate to others and how you conduct yourself. So a personality disorder is not usually acute and it's treatable with psychotherapy. Sometimes medication helps, sometimes not. Okay? And probably borderline is among the more severe of the personality disorders. Yes. Okay. So we're going to talk about it today because there's a good chance that you know somebody that has it. All right, so Margaret's got a presentation that she's going to talk about with this today. Okay, and eventually I'm going to talk about um, a conference I attended where I heard about um, a very talented clinician who's been around for years who runs, runs a hospital for borderlines and I think is brilliant in the way he handles it and them. But before we even get into the meat of that, I just want to repeat some generalities about borderline personality disorder. And I'm impressed that many of you out there have absorbed enough of what we've said about this to be pretty, pretty accurate diagnosers when you get with a partner who's borderline. Mm -hmm. And I'll just remind you that men can be borderline as well as women, okay? All right, um, so I'm just gonna define some terms again. The first one is trauma. An overwhelmingly horrible event that overwhelms anybody's capacity to deal with it. So we're not talking about the strength of the victim here. We're saying that a real trauma is something that nobody could cope with, okay? Being in the path, path of four hurricanes a year in New Orleans would be good, an earthquake, a war, things that would overwhelm anybody, yeah. okay? Um, and that's one thing that bothers you when this trauma is brought up. Yes, um, I get very concerned when people want to talk about the victim's coping skills um, because certainly sexual trauma has nothing to do with the victim's coping skills. It has to do with the perpetrators violating everything that's sacred, okay? Um, I think that's a trap and I'm, I'm clear about that when it comes up. Um, 
Okay, so it's a trauma is something that's too big for your normal defenses to deal with. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now I just want to define depression again quickly. Um, depression is not feeling happy about or enjoying anything. I don't like the food I used to eat. I don't like the stuff I used to do for fun. I don't like anything anymore. Okay. Nothing gets me excited anymore. I just want to sit here. Okay. Characterized by low energy. So bad that sometimes people can't get out of bed. Okay. And at its extreme, depressed people can become suicidal and say, you know, I just can't handle living this way. I have to do something. Yeah. So I just wanted to define those terms. And I want to give you the criteria for a borderline personality disorder diagnosis. And here are the real ones out of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. Frantic efforts to avoid real or imagined abandonment. Now, do we hear a lot about abandonment in relationships? Absolutely, right? Just about every relationship. Just about every relationship. And I think most of us kind of have some abandonment fears built in, even if we had a good growing up. Okay, so frantic efforts to avoid real or imagined abandonment. And imagined is a key there, too. Imagined is a key there. I know you've been out talking with someone else. No, I was working overtime. Yeah. You know? I did a call today, or I'm sorry, not today, uh, yesterday, huh? with a girl that um, had a lot of sexual abuse mm. and in her childhood. And, you know, she had a lot of trauma. And so she was accusing her husband of cheating, oftentimes when she had no evidence of it. Yeah, yeah. Real or imagined. Yeah. Yeah, she's so used to be being abandoned or cheated on in some way or betrayed mm -hmm. that, yeah. And that can happen. And of course, it drives your partner crazy. Where have you been? You're 10 minutes later than I thought you'd be. Who were you seeing? Yeah. You know? The old one is always, mom went to the store and she was gone too long and dad thinks she's getting it on with the bag boy, mm -hmm. you know? Okay. Um, a pattern of unstable interpersonal relationships, which alternate between idealization and devaluation. I think Craig Kenneth here is the best friend and colleague in the world. I'm going to stop you there. Okay. But <laughs> a week from now, I might say, you're a pain in the ass. I was trying to stop the devaluation. <laughs> so what borderlines tend to do is when they first get in a relationship, they're all excited and this looks just great. But eventually they get disappointed with you, whether you do anything to deserve it or not. And yeah. they devalue you. And as we'll see later, there are good reasons why this happens. And I can tell you from my experience as a therapist, a borderline client will come in and say, after an hour, you are the best therapist I've ever had. I've had 21 other therapists, and none of them were as good as you. That's where you should stop them. That's where you should stop them. <laughs> Two weeks later, uh, several of my other therapists were better than you. And the last one I had used to sometimes give me grocery money and would let me call her any time of the day or night if I got anxious. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you're the worst therapist I've ever had. Mm -hmm. All right. And... Sometimes it's useful to warn people that this is going to happen, but they don't really hear you, okay? Persistently unstable self-image or sense of self. The borderline just doesn't feel grounded in this world. And oftentimes they look to a relationship to help them feel grounded and, and like a real person. Um, 
and sometimes they often just sort of feel like they're floating in space and they're just not anchored anywhere emotionally okay mm -hmm. so and when that happens they can get extremely clingy to a partner Impulsive in at least two areas that are potentially self-destructive, okay? And these often include indiscriminate sex, substance abuse, self-mutilation, constantly having crises with people in the community or people in their family. And a really skilled borderline can involve several agencies in their care and eventually get them all fighting with each other. <laughs> And one of the theories is that when somebody is able to do that, that the people involved in the case end up like behaving like their family of origin. Okay? Very interesting. Yeah. Because borderlines don't have good boundaries. Now, we all have a little boundary around ourselves that we don't let other people get beyond. Borderlines never developed a boundary that works for them. So they will get real too close to people at some point and then eventually panic that they're too close and push them away. Mm -hmm. um, but the other thing is, because borderlines have poor boundaries, we can feel an enormous amount of their kind of primal energy, okay? And they can wear you out. And often they'll go from crisis to crisis to keep themselves away from thinking about their problems. Or their traumas. Yes, and it can be exhausting to try to deal with them through that. Yeah. Um, and they love to call people in crisis because... You know, they think they're going to be loved that way or, you know, or that you'll feel sympathy for them. Well, it gets them a lot of attention. It gets them a lot of attention. And what you end up having to say to them constantly and persistently is, I'm interested in you and I'm going to work with you. You don't have to be in crisis to get me to do that. Okay? And the first 400 times you say it, they don't get it, but eventually they do. Mm -hmm. Okay? Borderlines are notoriously self-destructive. Um, recurrent suicidal behavior or threats, okay? And this is where it gets tricky for the borderline. Um, when borderlines um, are forced into a hospital because they've been suicidal, oftentimes the hospital staff who deals with them is angry at them and assumes that they just do this for attention. That's a common misconception. Absolutely. Um, borderlines don't do this for attention. Not that they're not manipulative. And often people don't become manipulative because they want to either. They become manipulative because they don't get their needs met and have to get creative about getting people to pay attention to them. Yep. Okay. But for years and years, borderlines have been described as just awful people who act out all the time and just want to get your attention. Um, and a lot of people also think they cut because they want your attention. Have you ever cut your arm? It hurts. So you'd have to want attention really, really badly. Okay? In other words, you don't believe it. Right. And many, many clinicians have over the years refused to work with borderlines because they think they're just terrible and manipulative people. And I have a huge problem with that. And if you understand the history of any individual borderline, you're not going to see it that way. Um, but well-educated clinicians out there um, sometimes really can't deal with them, all right? Um, all right, they're emotionally unstable and their moods can change in minutes or an hour and they can love you one minute and be leaving you the next. Mm -hmm. um, they get depressed, irritable, and anxious. 
um, which can last for a few hours or a few days, but oftentimes not much longer. All right? Sometimes their behavior can look very similar to somebody who has bipolar disorder. But the difference is, if you have bipolar disorder and you're having either a depressive or a manic episode, you're going to be in that state for a few weeks. Borderlines can change in minutes. And we did do a video yes, on it did. called uh, Borderline versus Bipolar yes. or Bipolar versus Borderline. borderline I yep. don't remember. Yep. But we go into the details of that if you're wanting to learn more about the difference right. or trying to figure out what yep. the, what's going on. Oftentimes, borderlines will tell you that they have a chronic feeling of emptiness, like there's nothing inside. And like they don't feel like they have anybody to love and they don't like themselves very much and they literally physically describe feeling empty. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and their most difficult symptom of all is they have inappropriate intense anger. And if you spend time with borderlines very much and you get an angry borderline, they can do it up so well you're exhausted and wiped out by the time they get done. And you can sort of feel it physically right in your chest. Yes. Their anger is so primitive and so undefended when it comes out. Okay? But in short, there is no such thing as a boring borderline. No, there's not. Okay? <laughs> they are intense. <laughs> they are intense. They, and sometimes it can help them be very successful, as, yes. like with business. Absolutely. There are high-functioning borderlines, yeah. Yeah, I know, um, I know a few people that are like that. They're right. borderlines. Yeah. And they use that to that drive that energy that into energy. success. Yep. Right. Now, most of us have repressed some of that energy, which is why we, we can behave better. Um, but it can also be very attractive energy, very sexual energy. Yes. Yeah. They, and, they have no boundaries. No, they have no boundaries. They will do wild things yes. any place, any time. Right. And there, but there are some people who get into a relationship with a borderline, and even though it doesn't last long, probably because of the borderline's overall difficulties, can't let go of the relationship yep. because it was so exciting. And they got, you can get close to them very quickly because they have no boundaries. Like addicted to them. Addicted to them. Yeah. Almost, yeah. yeah. And it's like being addicted to excitement. Yeah. Okay. I dated a borderline briefly. Yes, you did. Uh, yeah. I could tell the story. I, I briefly yes. dated one after the breakup with the Applebee's girl. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine I was incredibly depressed. Right. And I come, along comes this wild borderline mm -hmm. who was just intense and funny and... Uh, what other words do I want to... Well, provocative? She was not boring. <laughs> she was not boring in any way. And she had a crisis a day. Yeah. Pretty much. She yeah. had a, a really difficult history yeah. a lot of abuse and trauma in her yeah. history yeah. and um but i'll tell you it helped me temporarily get out of that depression right and of course it did yes and there's nothing like a good borderline relationship to get you out of a depression in the long run though it wasn't going to work no. and um you know i wound up ending the relationship um in a way that was very kind to her yes because i actually were very nice yeah. I actually allowed her to end the relationship in one of her mm -hmm. uh, tirades. One of her tirades. And then I just kind of agreed with it. So I, I wanted her to have the power in this situation. I felt like it would have helped her. But she really struggled with that breakup. Yes, she did. Uh, and she told me. But, um, you know, it was tough for her. And, you know, that was my first real 
um, experience in life with knowing a borderline like that. Right. You had dealt mostly with children, mm-hmm. and you saw out-of-control children who can grow up to be borderlines. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. but um, and even in my personal life, I don't think I had known many borderlines, no. like, as far as, like, I may have worked with them, but not, like, close friends. Right. So dating one was really eye-opening. Who is this person, you said? Yeah, it was... A lot. Yeah. <laughs> they also lie frequently. Oh, yes. And, now, and cheated. Yeah. Now, because they'll do anything at any moment to make their internal anxiety go away. It's yeah. unbearable. Literally unbearable. Now, the last criteria for diagnosing someone is they have transient dissociative experiences. And being dissociated means that you feel somewhat disconnected from your current surroundings. Kind of like you're in another place. You're not quite where you're supposed to be, okay? And they will often describe feeling numb or feeling like they're floating, all right? Now, there are other conditions that have um, longer-term symptoms like this, but these are very quickly passing um, dissociative experiences where they're really not oriented and feel strange inside, okay? Or sometimes they'll say that things, when they look at them, things don't look right. Okay? What, is, what do you mean by that? Um, I've had borderlines in, in crisis say to me, um, well, I went to the store today and nothing looked like it was the normal size. I mean, just somehow their surroundings look very odd or they're not quite in touch with them. That's very unusual. Yeah. What do you think that is? It's a, it's a kind of dissociation. Some of it's called depersonalization when you're, you're numb and you're not even sure you're a person or that the other people you're talking to um, are real people. And reality doesn't look quite right to you now and again. But again, oh. it's passing. And I remember an adolescent client I had many years ago who kept telling me things didn't look right. And I didn't know at that time what the symptom was about. Hmm. Okay. She would tell me everything looked distorted. You know, think of some of the impressionist paintings you've seen, kind of like that. I do remember one time you said to me, it's like Alice in Wonderland. Yes, yes. And whoever wrote Alice in Wonderland, yeah, really was, was interesting. Yes, like Alice in Wonderland, things look small or things look big or things look strange. Yeah. Okay, like Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so... You know, borderlines have all kinds of acute symptoms, and there are many, many hospitals in this country, and I'm sure in other countries as well, um, dedicated um, to taking in borderlines. And they end up being forced into treatment because they drive their their families, their employers, um, their spouses, their partners to distraction with the recurrent rages and the recurrent suicide attempts. Okay, so lots of them only get help when they finally get suicidal enough to be put into a hospital. And what a hospital does for borderlines is it contains their crazy activity. So some of their energy is left over for healing. Okay, Mm -hmm. a borderline out on their own is going to expend all of their energy oftentimes, stirring things up, causing all sorts of problems here and there. I'll tell you about a borderline family I worked with, and there can be whole families of borderline. That There are borderline families. This was a borderline family I worked with. 
and they had been thrown out of at least six agencies in the area, I quickly found out why. Um, because if one of them didn't cause a problem, the other one would. But one of them, who wanted his partner back and wasn't going to get her, was furious that we who were trying to help his family couldn't make her come back to him. And he would call, he called the governor's office at one point in the state where I was practicing. Wow. And the lady from the governor's office and I got to be friends and knew when each other's birthdays were because he would call her all the time to complain about me. <laughs> the other thing he did, the family was court involved for various reasons, and he called the chief justice of the Supreme Court in that state to complain that the, the court wasn't helping him either. Okay. I did eventually get him to go to therapy, however, and it helped him. And he got some medication for his depression and anxiety, and he did manage to make some progress, but only after driving me to distraction. Okay. The other thing is, one of them always had some kind of somatic complaint, so you were always getting, getting calls from a hospital emergency room um, who wanted to let you know that one of your constituents was not feeling well that day. And of course, they'd try to use that as a crisis and try and get you involved as well. Okay. At one point, I remember counting that they had five different agencies involved with them, all of which they were driving crazy. Uh, and what you do in a case like that is you meet with the other agencies so that you can present a united approach, okay? Um, but it was sort of like every day, what did they do today? Right? Yeah. yeah. And a family that's... Now, the magnitude of craziness and acting out equals the amount of pathology or ultimately the amount of abuse that they've all had. So what you have to do is you have to get them calmed down enough to begin to deal with the real issues, mm -hmm. okay? And it's not always easy. Now, I just want to say a few words about um, the whole diagnosis. This was a diagnosis that came out of the Boston area where I was raised and first practiced social work. Mm -hmm. And there were a couple of local hospitals. One was McLean's, which is world famous for its wonderful therapy and so forth and so on. But some of the original people who were psychiatrist from Boston initially described the condition. There was no understanding at that time about why borderlines are borderline. And in addition to their attachment difficulties, 99.9% .9 of them have a trauma history, which is what generates some of the anxiety, some of the craziness, etc., etc. But because we didn't understand that, it became a very pejorative diagnosis for women to the point where in the late 1980s, some of the pioneers in understanding that borderline women had been traumatized wanted to do away with the diagnosis because it was just so uh, awful. And to this day, there are therapists out there who are well-trained who don't want to deal with these folks. And my feeling is if you don't want to deal with these folks, then don't because it's not going to work. Okay? Yep. Um, and. I remember several times when I ran an agency, there were always a few borderline clients in an agency. Um, and I remember we planned for that and we took three or four of the senior clinicians and trained them on each of these cases. So if they started get up, to get out of control and making phone calls and demanding to talk to somebody, we could speak with a single voice, which makes them feel safer, actually. 
okay? Borderlines feel much better when you set limits with them and say, no, you're not going to do that. It's not going to help you. It's not going to help the 10 people you're driving crazy. So we're going to stop that right now, and we're going to deal with the real issues. And you expect to get a fight from them, but most of the time they say, oh, okay. All right? And people forget that. I'm always reminding people, set limits with a borderline. It makes them feel better, okay? Yep. Because they're out of control and nobody likes to be out of control. Okay, so this is part one. I'm going to follow up with part two shortly. Okay. Okay. All right, so hopefully this is helpful for you to understand borderline personality disorder a little bit better if it's affecting you or your relationship or family members. It could be helpful to know what they're going through and what things you can kind of expect right. from them. Absolutely. Um, Margaret has tons of personal experience with this. Oh, yes, I do. And I had the beginning of my experience before I ever heard of the diagnosis or knew there was one. But I did have a supervisor who was smart enough to tell me to firmly but gently set limits with them, and that helps. Yeah. Yeah. So if you want to get our help personally, just go to my website, askcraig.net. Sign up for the coaching option that works best for you. I do email coaching and I do Skype. Of course, Margaret is available for Skype coaching. If you feel I can be helpful to you, please sign up. Just click on Margaret on the top of the website to do that. That's it for this video. I'm Coach Craig Kenneth. I'm Coach Margaret. And we will talk with you soon. To get my help personally, go to AskCraig.net and click on Schedule Coaching and choose the option that works best for you. I do email coaching or Skype. To schedule a coaching with Margaret, Click on Margaret on the top of the page and order a Skype with her. For the Knowledge Creative Healing course, click on the link at the top of the page and click Get Started Now.